It's what a wonderful atmosphere we've had this morning. Tremendous. And the song speaking of um, that victory that we really do have in Jesus. And um, so, so lovely. Um, so good. So really welcome to you, to this church, especially if you're new to church. We just really want you to feel at home. I hope you do. Um, Often in life, it doesn't just seem like wading through water, but actually wading through treacle, doesn't it? And um, it feels like we're in a battle. And there is a battle. There's an internal battle that we feel, if we're honest about ourselves. There's this battle between our our internal destructive thoughts and desires. Um, There's... um, you know, even at the beginning of the week, I was aware of a low level of anxiety. An occasional thought of shame about something that I'd done the previous week on a low level, but I still felt that kind of shame. There are these battles that we have inside of us, aren't there? And I'm sure you can identify with these thoughts or have other things of your own. We find ourselves struggling to think and to do what brings real flourishing in our lives. We often have strong desires that go against our deepest desires for our lives. There's this battle within us. And Christians have called that the battle with the flesh. If you want a kind of definition, um, John Mark Comer says this in his book, Live No Lies. Brilliant book. Uh, animalistic drives for self-gratification especially as relating to sensuality and survival then just to make things worse there's the battle with the with the world the culture there's another level of battle that we face that can affect us to be sure there is some good in our culture and in our world But often in the world, the culture around us, we've redefined good and evil. We've redefined what's normal. And what's considered normal is living as what feels right to us. What feels right to us or as as a culture. And Christians have called this the battle with the world. So... In the world, unfortunately, we have systematic racism, objectification and oppression of women. We have this incredible divide between the rich and the poor. I was shocked to see the CEO of the betting world earned 250 million this year. Can you imagine it? That's so shocking then there are a whole load of things that you and I are being carried along by our culture and the world that we're not really aware of. And they're not good for us, and they're not right. There's a battle there. So Christians who believe the Bible have often talked about battle on three fronts. There's the flesh, the internal battle. There's the world, the culture that we live in. And then there's the the devil, And you might say, well, I get the first two, but the third one, the devil, I really don't think you can do that in the 21st century. Well, we'll come back to that one. So, 
Jesus reveals that God is good and that he is for us. And he is wanting us to flourish, to know his peace, his joy, his love. And yet so often we seem to struggle. My point that I want to make today is that we have a foe or an enemy, but God is our friend and he will help us. Three points. The devil, his main way of working, which is deceitful ideas. And the third point is how that we can resist the devil. New Testament um, principles often have a book in the Old Testament that gives a picture. We had that earlier, didn't we? That gives a picture of that principle. And Paul writes in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Old Testament book of Nehemiah that we've been looking at paints a number of different pictures, but one of the pictures that it paints is this principle of battle. So you find Nehemiah has this incredible, this vision of what he can do in his generation to bring good, to make a difference. He has this vision. And, you know, he's called to build these walls so that Jerusalem is protected. And remarkably, and because of prayer, the king supports Nehemiah and gives him what he needs. And then the people get this vision as well that they, they think, yeah, we can be part of this vision. And everything's easy from then on, isn't it? No, completely wrong. There's a complete battle that happens. He faces a struggle, they face a struggle. And it's just like life, isn't it? So with this perspective of our own personal struggle and the struggle to bring in God's good kingdom, let's see what we can learn from Nehemiah and how he copes with this struggle. So reading from chapter 4 of Nehemiah. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was very angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Amorite, who was his side, said, What they're building even a fox climbing up at it would break down the wall of stones. So then the people and Nehemiah pray, Hear us, our God, for we're despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults into the face of the builders. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, and the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. 
They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. We see this opposition in this chapter 4 that we've just read, but actually it starts earlier. In chapter 2, verse 10, Nehemiah says this, And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of Israelites. And that, I'm afraid, is the reality, that as we step out and start doing stuff for God, our enemy doesn't like it. And he's right at the beginning, there he was. There they were, beginning opposition. And as we go through, you can actually see there's an escalation of that opposition from mocking to threats and then a beginning of getting together to have a direct attack at Jerusalem and the people of God. But my point today that I want you to grasp hold of is that we have a foe, but God is our friend. He's the victor that we sang about. So let's think about my first point, which is the devil. There are three points. Do you remember the devil, deceitful ideas, and resisting the devil. Okay. So the devil, our battle is against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Well, why believe in the devil? Well, it's kind of popular. You know, there's Lucifer and the programs Lucifer and Satan's hour and things like that. But is there any reason to think that there is a devil? Well, Jesus, the revelation of God himself, clearly believed in evil and the devil. He was tempted three times in the wilderness and three times quotes the word of God to, to counteract that work. And then the prayer that he taught us, the Lord's Prayer as we call it. He, he, he tells us to pray, um, deliver us from evil. So Jesus clearly believed that. And I think, and I was once asked this question at work, do you, do you believe in evil? Do you believe in the devil? And the second quest, thing that I said was this, that if there is no devil, then God is responsible for the mess of this world. And that kind of God I don't want to know, I certainly don't want to follow. And the Bible is full of this battle between good and evil. God, praise God, he is much more powerful and will put everything right. And Jesus reveals that he is good. That is good news. But my first re third reason would be experience of why I believe in evil. I've personally seen power encounters when I was in mission in South Africa, for example, and other situations. But I like this story of Robbie Dawkins because I think it, it makes it very powerful. Robbie Dawkins is a courageous Christian leader who tells people about Jesus in dangerous places, goes to Afghanistan and heals people and tells people about Jesus. Let me read about his birth, if you bear with me, for a couple of minutes. I think it's an amazing story. He says, 
My parents had been serving as missionaries in Japan for a little over a year when my mother became pregnant with me. About a week after she'd found out she was pregnant, she was doing the laundry in the back room of their house when Satan appeared in the corner. He told her he was Satan and she believed him because he'd appeared out of thin air. She looked, he looked like a normal man, but my mother says she could feel the evil and dread that seemed to pour out of him. As you'd expect, she was paralysed with fear. She described the moment to me years later by saying a waterfall of fear poured over her. Satan glared at her and growled. I can't allow this child to be born. If she refused to terminate the pregnancy, he said, I will kill you and the baby at birth. Struggling to get the words out, my mother managed to respond, the Lord clearly has a plan for this child's life that you want to stop. And I will not put my hand against God's plan, even if it means the loss of my own life. She thought Satan might strike her down on the spot, but instead he just disappeared. No flash of light, no smell of sulphur. He was there and then he was gone. My, my mother did not tell my dad right away what had happened because she didn't want to upset him. But she did not have to tell him. A few days later, after he appeared to her, the devil also appeared to my father and made the same threat. And my father allowed me to be allowed... If my father allowed me to be born, my mother and I would die during the birth. My dad pretty much responded the same way my mother had. And again, Satan disappeared immediately. Satan never showed himself to my father again, but my mother says he appeared to her once a month for the rest of her pregnancy, making the same threat over and over again. Every time she responded the same way, she would not put her hand against what God had planned. Then near the end of her pregnancy, my mother had a visit from an angel who told her that because she'd stayed strong despite Satan's threats, I would be born on Easter Sunday morning, April 10th, 1966. The odds of this happening naturally were not great, as my mum's doctor had expected me to arrive on March the 20th. But the angel insisted I would come into the world on Easter Sunday. This would be a sign of God's protection over me and his hand on my life. The angel did not, however, say a single word about my mother. Her survival was uncertain, but she was not about to back down. The angel was telling the truth. I was born right on schedule, that is, God's schedule, not man's schedule. When my mother came into labour early that Easter morning, she says that she felt like she was, she felt like she was going to die. But that did not happen. They both survived. My dad paced the waiting room, as most expectant fathers did in those days, waiting for the obstetrician to come to tell him whether he had a son or a daughter who had all gone well during the delivery. When he saw the doctor approach, he feared the worst. The man was dishevelled, dark rings circled his eyes. He looked as if he'd been through an ordeal, and my dad's faith began to waver. Congratulations, Reverend Dawkins, the doctor said. You have a healthy baby boy. Your wife and your son are both doing fine. He said it without a hint of enthusiasm. The doctor then stood there for a moment. My dad had the feeling he had not said everything he had to say. And, my dad asked, 
I just left a war zone, the doctor finally offered. Both mother and child are fine, but it wasn't, it wasn't without a fight. When my dad pressed him, the doctor could not explain what he meant. Nothing terrible had happened. There was no physical reason why the delivery could, should have been so hard. But he said every moment felt like a struggle to swim upstream against the current. And we could multiply those uh, experiences. I see no reason to doubt the many that write and have experienced such effects. But my... So, I think there's reasons why I'm convinced that there is evil and there is a devil. But the way that he works, mainly, is not the power encounter that we've just read about. The way he works, most of all, is through deceitful ideas, or lies, if you like. You might, a deceit, an idea is really an assumption about reality. Um, you assume that communism, say, is the best way to do life, say. Um, but it could be a false assumption about reality. And, and living a lie or going along deceitful ideas, eventually reality cuts up with us. We could have the false assumption that if I jump off a cliff, it's going to be OK for me. But actually reality cuts up with me when I get to the bottom, doesn't it? So deceitful ideas. The devil's really good at things that aren't real and aren't flourishing and aren't good for us. You see this in the Garden of Eden. Devil tempts Adam and Eve and says, you know, eat from the tree of the fruit of good and evil and it'll be okay for you. But actually it was a real mess, wasn't it? And we're still reaping that. Or Jesus in the wilderness, for example, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil says, if you are the son of God, turn these stone into loaves of bread wasn't the right thing and Jesus said man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and even the word evil it's live spelt backwards isn't it and that just says everything about what the devil and evil is about he's trying to stop us from living stopping us to flourishing and being who God wants us to be. So, deceitful ideas and Nehemiah. Let's go. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, Sambalat says, you're rebelling against the king. Well, we know that the king gave him letters to go off and do it. That's typical of what he does. And, and another deceitful idea, the beginning of chapter 4, we, it was, there was this attack on identity, wasn't there? You can't do it. What are you feeble Jews doing? And pointing out a whole load of negative stuff about them. And I have the privilege of running a well-being uh, course many times. And, and, and most of us have way too strong an inner critic that controls that defines us it's often the source of often the source of this is our brokenness our flesh if you like or what people have said to us the world and the devil likes to sort of work on that but we need to remember our thoughts are not us uh, what comes into our heads are all kinds of things, and, and we mustn't let them condemn us. 
We can choose which thoughts we're going to dwell on, which ideas we're going to think about. Now, there is an, an element of, you know, what you look at is what you see have in your brain. But there's also, I think, there are some things that just come into our brain that are not us at all. We need to be, choose carefully what we dwell on, what we think about. Because what we th think about affects our emotions and then affects our behaviours. Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so he is. So those mocking and negative words that Nehemiah and the Jews had right at the beginning, we know that they can be very hurtful in our own lives. And Nehemiah and the people of God, what do they do? They take this pain and these problems to God. And we have this prayer that Nehemiah and the people of God use. Um, you know, it's not really a model of prayer that Jesus' followers would have because we're called to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. But it is a model of response in a sense that when we have pain, when we have mocking, when we have opposition, to take that honesty to our God who is big enough that we can, as we take that to him, he can begin to bring healing to our hearts. And the next bit we read in our story that we've read about is that they keep working with all their hearts and so the building is built up half full, halfway up the walls go because they've gone with all their heart. And I think as we bring our pain to God, he begins to change our hearts. Then, and, you know, there's more opposition, more plotting. Ongoing opposition was taking its toll. So verse 10, we find, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. And tiredness and physical being physically unwell can distort our perspective. That's probably what was going on there. The people cry out, we cannot rebuild this wall. You know, these were special circumstances, of course, that the very lives of the community were being threatened. It was a war situation, wasn't it? And humans can maintain a higher level of stress and physical effort even when our bodies and emotions are screaming at us but it takes its toll. There is so much that pulls at our heartstrings as Christians. To do in a busy church and a broken world, there are, like Derek said, rotors, like last week. But rest and balance is important. Often behind a lot of our overworking is that we don't feel that we're approved by God we want to try and earn our salvation we want to try and earn his love there's something about that but actually fundamentally we have nothing to prove God loves us just as we are we don't have to go around proving stuff and doing stuff often that's there we are approved but because of his grace and we have so much we need to freely give what we have. We sometimes have that wrong, deceitful idea about what we're doing. Born out of a time of stress, Sue and I realized that we needed rest 
to survive in our lives. And so we now have a regular practice of Sabbath that Sue talked about some time ago. And I can tell you, that is really life-giving. But sometimes in life, there seems like rubble everywhere, and we cannot continue. We are overwhelmed. Maybe you feel like that, that you're overwhelmed this morning. Resting can give a perspective on our priorities and renew why we're doing them. I remember reading... Um, yeah, let's skip on that bit, I think. Nehemiah and the people of God needed to hold on to why they were building the wall. The vision, if you like. Why are we doing it? This was a God-inspired vision that they were building this wall and he would help them. They'd lost sight of that, I think, which is why they were saying, we're overwhelmed, we can't do it. In our personal lives, we need to hold on to God's vision for our lives. And as a church too, we need to hold on to God's vision for us. To be sure, we have a foe but God is our friend. He will help us. I love the verses in Isaiah 40, which says that those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Tremendous. So let's move on to our next section. We're, we're progressing well, so we're getting on. It won't be too long. So let's lead the next bit from verse 11. Um, also our enemies said before they know it or see it we will be right in there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over wherever you turn they will attack us therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places posting them by families with their swords spears and bows after I looked over things, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when the enemies heard that they, we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Fear. Don't be afraid of them. That's another one of those deceitful ideas. We need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fear can rob us of flourishing life that God wants for us. And in the popular Charlie Mackesy book, The Mole says, an old mole once told me that they wished they focused more on their dreams than on their fears. More on dreams than fears. We need to gaze on God, great and awesome, and glance at our fears. And I wonder why Nehemiah said, remember the Lord who's great and awesome. I think there are two things. Nehemiah knew the word of God. 
We see that in chapter 1 of his book, that he prays the word of God. He prays what is in other places in the Old Testament. He knew it, and so he was confident in the promises of God, and so he was looking at God. But Nehemiah also knew the experience of God, didn't he? Because he knew God had answered his prayers to provide for him and enable him to go to Jerusalem. And we need to hold on, not to our fears, not to these deceitful ideas that aren't going to be any good, but actually to God and his word and what he's saying about us, not what other people or we might think of our own selves. We need to focus on what our God says. We have a foe, but God is our friend. So we've thought about the devil. We've thought about deceitful ideas, those lies, those things that are only assumptions about realities but actually are not. And now we briefly just think about resistance. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5 also talks about resisting the devil. And I think we've already talked about some of them. One is that we need to reject those deceitful ideas and we need to hold on to God's word. The second one that we looked at was, if you remember, when the people were mocked, they prayed to God, didn't they? And we need to take that pain to God and pray to him. Prayer is very, very powerful. Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, says, keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. So we are meant to prayer is part of that resistance. But third, there is a place for actions together, not with the weapons of swords, but with love. The thing is, we are very vulnerable on our own. And it's only when we're together that we can actually keep going. And I think there's another Charlie Mackesay thing. Yep. No. Next slide. Asking for help isn't giving up, said the horse. It's refusing to give up. The previous thing actually says, what is the bravest thing you've ever said? And the horse says, help. And in church, we need to ask for help. We can't do... The, we can't do life on our own, and we can't do the Christian life on our own. We need to ask for help, and we need to give help. So, how does this apply to you and I today? Um, first of all, are there some deceitful ideas that you're holding on to, which really, rather than God's word? Secondly, are you getting a proper rest? Maybe you're sleeping in the sermon, but no. Are you getting a proper rest? And a, I wasn't talking to anyone, I don't think anyone was, but anyway. But are you, are you getting a godly perspective and why, the vision, the sense? And are you part of community where you ask for help and don't soldier on on your own? And are you giving help? So as I close, we have a foe, but God is our friend. Brett, maybe just say this with me. We have a foe. Can you say that? We have a foe, but God is our friend. Good. Excellent. So Nehemiah says that God will fight for us. He has promised to help us now.
I love it in Romans 8, 31, that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul doesn't mean um, that we don't have any struggles and, and that they'll all be sorted out now. But what he does mean by that when it says that God is for us and who can be against us is that he means that God is so for us and his victory is so certain that nothing is going to be able to separate you and I from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That he is going to put his world right and you and I are held by his love. So let's just pray as we end. Lord, we don't understand why you're for us when we think about what we do and what we think. Thank you that you are for us. Amen.